Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey, Securing Bridges faithful, we're back. It's another episode, episode 24 of Securing Bridges. We are right here with another live stream coming your way. We're digging into what we do every time. We are talking about how do we secure the bridge between us as security professionals and the rest of the business or the rest of the world, the rest of that community around us, those that we serve. How do we connect that security message and help those people who don't eat, sleep, and breathe this every day understand the world of cybersecurity and how they can be more secure in this digital world? So we've had 23 amazing guests, one after the next, after the next, and 24 is going to be so cool. I'm actually really excited about this. A little bit of a serendipitous way that this episode came about today, but it's one I've been thinking about for a while. And we're going to dig into the whole idea of like embedded systems. I mean, how many of us drive around in cars or motorcycles or fly in airplanes and never really think about the cybersecurity implications of some of the systems. Well, we're digging into that today because with us today, we have an amazing guest. It's Derek, or as you may know him from Twitter, or if you're with us on Fancy Fridays, you know him as Can Bus Dutch. Hey, Dutch, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing all right. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, first of all. I'm, I'm Again, I can't say enough of how excited I am for this episode. But uh, let, let's kick it off just by, why don't you, like we do with every guest, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and then we'll dive in. Yeah, so um, about half a decade or so, I actually made a, uh, a huge uh, career pivot from corporate IT into um, vehicle security. Um, I did it for about two to three years as a hobbyist. Um, and um, about two years ago, I took up a job in the field and uh, relocated to uh, Motor City to um, start out my career in vehicle security. And, um, you know, it's just continued to grow from there with, uh, you know, I, I never would have imagined when I first looked into trying to hack my motorcycle that I'd be on a podcast here today. Um, but uh, it's been nothing but fun and, uh, you know, nothing but growth ever since. So uh, first of all, I love that. And I'm, I'm pumping my fist because it's like I, so many of us, I think, in this industry kind of started that way. I mean, certainly at age 12, when I was breaking into Prodigy, I definitely did not think someday this was going to be a career for me. Um, but, you know, here we are. It's a career for you. It's a career for me. Um, but so let, let's kind of dig in. So the, the name, Canbus Dutch. Now, people who kind of have gotten into you know, vehicle security in any way, shape or form. Maybe they've gone to the you know car hacking village at one of our friendly hacker conferences or something may understand that. 
but can you kind of just start with helping people understand what is this CAN bus, right? I mean, because I don't know that everyone really has a good picture of what CAN bus really means. Yeah, yeah. So um, usually the the analogy I use when explaining it to people is um, if, you know, a lot of uh, non-technical people may have seen the acronyms LAN or WAN, a local area network and a wide area network. CAN is actually just that, an acronym, and it stands for Controller Area Network. So it's a network between microcontrollers and allows them to communicate with each other. And, you know, microcontrollers with the growth of IoT uh, has, you know, expanded substantially. You see CAN bus uh, not only in... Um, vehicles, um, cars, motorcycles, aircrafts, as we mentioned, um, but you actually also see them in industrial control systems uh, so that automation systems can uh, communicate with each other and know what they're doing in the assembly line. Or, you know, I worked a while for a food and beverage automation company uh, and they actually had CAN bus on uh, their hardware. Okay. And I mean, near and dear to my heart, two of the ones you mentioned, well, one you mentioned, one we, I'll mention, you know, obviously aircraft for those who don't know that I'm a student pilot at this point. And so very relieved to know that my poor 1968 Piper Cherokee does not have any microcontrollers or CAN bus. So I guess, you know, from that perspective, we'll get into the, uh, there's already a question we'll get to in a minute um, about that, but um you know, the other one that has come up here in Wisconsin, because it's a, I don't know if they're officially Wisconsin based anymore or what, but they've got a big plant here is farm equipment and John Deere in particular. So there's been a lot of talk too about how, you know, right to repair and how the, the use of these controllers has kind of impacted that. And so it, it's interesting the way you describe that this is actually in a lot of different types of equipment and not necessarily just vehicles. Yeah, yeah. I actually uh, recently was in talks with a, a potential career in uh, farm equipment security. Uh, and um, I do know that um, I think in 2021, it was their first appearance of uh, um, we actually had like a, uh, a farm hacking village at DEF CON. Um, and honestly, I did not know about this until I went to CES in 2021 and John Deere was there. And I was like, that's kind of weird. You know, what's, what's John Deere doing here? And, uh, I went in and, uh, yeah, you know, the, the technology they have is crazy. They have, you know, I don't know if it's considered AI or algorithmic, uh, based, but, uh, they have camera systems that you know, look at the crops, and they will um, put insecticide accordingly, so that you know, instead of using an aircraft and crop dusting the whole plot of land and overusing, you know, and and having a whole bunch of costs associated, they're they're able to um, you know only do uh, the insecticide where it's needed now, and yeah, that's. And, uh, you know, kind of ag is one of the, the last places we really expect technology to, uh, to hit. 
right? Yeah, I mean, you, you think of the farms. I mean, I, I live like a mile from farmland, right? And you, you think of farms and you think of, yeah, just old school folk out there with their, their tractors and, you know, maybe their, their harvesters and, and things like that. But you don't realize just how far that's come. Sure, if I think about like an airliner, I can think about how complex that all those systems are. We hear about it all the time, all the safety systems and everything else that get built into that. I don't think people until like this started on the scene. And I mean, for me personally, until I started looking, I didn't realize just how incredibly technologically enabled farming has become. And so I know you, you've done like work in motorcycles in particular. I'm kind of curious there too. What do you see in terms of just like some of the enablement? Where where is technology taking us with motorcycles that maybe people don't recognize either? Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing that's that's kind of uh, interesting is uh, motorcycles usually fall a little bit behind cars and technology. Um, it's weird because you know m motorcycles are such a performance driven vehicle you would think that they would kind of be leading the pack, but uh, they often, you know, companies like Honda and Yamaha and stuff like that, they often come as kind of an, an afterthought, you know? I mean, I, that probably has a lot to do with them being considered recreational vehicles, you know? Like, we need to make sure we focus on the important vehicles first, and then we'll focus on our recreational line. Um, but... Um, you know, uh, I don't know, like, uh, there's, you know, I think, I think one of the most, uh, helpful things with, uh, motorcycles, um, you know, aside from the very intelligent ABS and traction control systems that have came to be over the years, uh, is probably also the adaptive suspension. You know, there's uh, under hard braking and stuff like that, you know, you, you your recoil and rebound and stuff is different. And uh, it, it's crazy, you know, it goes from motorcycles at one point um, having, I think uh, in 2003, the first motorcycle to come out to have a controller area network was uh, the Ducati 749. And uh, most people don't even consider it like the first one to have it because all it had was the dash, the engine controller, and then I think an alarm system. It only had three things on it. And uh, now, you know, you, you look at a, a motorcycle and it will have anywhere from five to 10 controllers on it for ABS, for traction control, the adaptive suspension, the engine controller, the dash, and, uh, you know, it might even have its own controller for the accelerometer and um, the tilt sensor and stuff like that, like kind of, uh, you know, bikes like BMWs and Honda Goldwings have full-blown body controllers sometimes to manage their, uh, you know, their heated seats and their sound system and everything like that. And which is, I mean, even this is incredible to me. And, you know, so I, I used to own a, a Harley. I had a 2001 Dyna Superglide and, 
I mean, it was it was cool, but again, there was nothing like all of this. It didn't have EBS. It did, definitely did not have. Yeah, I mean, it was cool because I could manually set a lot of the suspension components, you know, with combinations of air and oil and all that kind of craziness. It was great, but to think about computers doing that real time, or at least control systems, which I guess are computers at the end of the day, like, I, and this is where I think people don't really understand just how automated some of these cars really have gotten. We all kind of look at it and we say, wow, there's a lot of computer screens in my car. Obviously this thing's got a bunch of computer control and we just kind of throw it up to that. But I think people maybe, and this is part of why this episode was interesting to me. I don't think people necessarily understand how deep this can go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, there's, I think, you know, from what I've seen, there's a, uh, a pretty huge gap. Um, you know, I think, um, one thing I get a lot, you know, when I'm like, when people are like, Oh, you know, what do you do? And I, I tell them I'm in vehicle security. Um, I, uh, vehicle cybersecurity, I should say, uh, I get an eye roll a lot because it's like, Oh man, you know, these viruses and hackers can attack anything now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then they just are like, well, Computers are in everything nowadays, and uh, you know I think there's a uh, um, there's a large gap there between people who do understand that there's a cybersecurity aspect and the full blown cybersecurity professional. You know, a lot of people too who are like, oh yeah, you know, there's vehicle security. Um, really just think of it as key fob. You know, they saw on the news how like people were replicating key fobs and stealing cars or something like that. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, is, is that what you do? All the way to um, cybersecurity professionals who are just kind of vaguely aware of vehicle security. And uh, what I get a lot from them <laughs> is uh, a reference to the infamous 2015 GPAC where uh, if you, you know, those who may not know about the GPAC, there were two uh, very talented individuals who found out they could remotely control 2014 uh, Jeeps. And, um, you know, there's a big gap between replicating a key fob and taking control of a vehicle over the internet. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, yeah, the idea is, is bridging that gap uh, and, uh, you know, un helping people understand all, all that's in between and all that goes in, in you know, to, to get from something as simple as replicating a key fob to something as, you know, complex as, um, you know, hacking a car over the Internet. <laughs> So James actually kind of brought up an interesting point. And I know, Frank, you've got a question out here. I'm getting to you, Frank. We will get back to that question in a minute. But, you know, James brings up an interesting point. I, you know, the the performance circuit, I, do you even know? I mean, is, is it the performance circuit that kind of drives some of this? So like MotoGP or, you know, any of those? Or is it, you know, is it consumer markets where things like, you know, emissions and whatever are kind of driving this? Yeah, you know, um, I think I think it's probably while while the engine platforms and and stuff like that are definitely derived from MotoGP. You know, we all see 
the V4 engine now in the Ducati Penegale um, that was used in the uh, Ducati Desmo Sedici MotoGP bike for decades. So, uh, of course, on the mechanical side, you know, that's huge. But I, I honestly feel like, um, kind of like mentioned earlier, that a lot of this, uh, these electronics are kind of an afterthought for companies like Honda. You know, they, they make yeah. millions and millions of, of vehicle sales. And, uh, you know, and then that kind of bleeds over. I think one aspect I've, I've kind of seen that in is that um, companies who do not use seasoned electronic system in their recreational vehicles actually often do not have um, like uh, um, diet, like, uh, generic diagnostics. So a lot of people may have heard the term OBD2 uh, and stuff like that, which is used for smog checking uh, primarily um, and also for third party, um, you know, um, uh, mechanic shops and stuff like that. So, you know, you aren't forced to go to the dealer every single time. Um, but uh, what's interesting is um, that bikes that like, that are not like BMW and Honda that do not have, you know, a vehicle lineage where these OBD2 requirements are required or do not use, you know, a platform like Bosch or, um, you know, any of the other large vehicle controller like Continental and stuff like that, that, you know, they, they don't have these diagnostics. They, they're like, we don't need those, you know, we're just going to have our factory diagnostic stuff. Uh, and that, that's what kind of gives me the idea that this is, uh, getting bled over from, you know, the consumer car world versus like the actual, like performance end of things like MotoGP. Well, and that's one of the cool things with Canvas, right? I mean, you can kind of just keep building on it because it's, like you said, it, it's, it's basically a, a network of its own. And so that's kind of why I was wondering if maybe it's more consumer driving. You mentioned like, you know, seat heaters and things like that on, you know, and, and different comfort aspects on some of these bigger bikes, for instance. And so, and that's why it's so important though, too, to understand as a consumer, and, you know, kind of wrapping this back to the whole securing bridges side of things, you know, as a consumer, you're, you're buying, you want all these cool features and stuff. I mean, look how many people are bragging about all the, different cool things their Teslas can do and whatever. And it's like, yeah, but understand how that all gets implemented is, you know, this really interesting thing, uh, you know, these connected cars now, and it, it brings up things like you mentioned the, the G pack. So with that in mind, I guess I, I want to address Frank's question. Now seems like a good time. Mm -hmm. What are the scary things that you find in bikes and cars when you're you're looking at some of these systems? I mean, what what really does this start to turn into besides, hey, we can take control of your your car over the internet? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think I think the scariest thing I've experienced. It's probably not like. Uh, a scary thing for the general public, but it's just kind of a funny story. Uh, uh, what happened to me is uh, one time I was um, I was fuzzing the CAN bus network in a vehicle, 
Um, for those who don't know, fuzzing is just kind of sending random rogue data across uh, the network for all the controllers to see and read, to see how they react. And um, the car phoned OnStar. And uh, like, I, uh, I was scared and uh, the person on the other line was like, hello, we, uh, we got notification that the vehicle was in a catastrophic accident. Are you okay? And um, oh, no. and I'm I'm frightened. I'm like, what do I do? So I don't I, like. I, I wonder if the guy on the other end thought I, you know, was being held hostage and did it or something. Because I'm like, uh, no, I'm 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 fine. Like, and they're like, are you sure? Do you need any help? And I'm just like, no, no. Uh, it was an accident. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I, I think back and I'm like, man, I wonder if that guy thought I was getting kidnapped because of the way I sounded. And I was like, no, uh, I, I did it on accident. But um, yeah, I, how do you explain? I did this on accident. <laughs> <laughs> I accidentally triggered this. No, the car's totally fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so that, that was definitely the most uh, frightening thing for me. But um, w one of the other things I've seen, uh, I, I, there was a vehicle, um, you know, I can't go into too many details about make and model, of course, and stuff like that. Sure, right. But there was a vehicle who's... Um, uh, who I was able to control the steering wheel through the OBD2 sensor. Um, and by, again, fuzzing and sending random data. And what's really weird about this vehicle is um, that the, um, the controller system must have been a crossover from another vehicle because this car had zero uh, driver assist features. Um, it... it you know, it didn't even have a lane departure warning. And there was no trim model that did have these features. And I think that's probably like a huge other thing that a lot of people don't think of when it comes to security. You know, a lot of people know that the same engine platform is used across, you know, five models or the same chassis is used across a whole bunch of different models. But a lot of people don't really think like, oh, you know, this has the same electronic system as this other vehicle, even though this vehicle doesn't have these features. And, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of cybersecurity professionals right now are probably thinking like, oh, yeah, I want to unlock those features on my car then. But uh, but the, uh, the concern is when there's things like, you know, the fact that you could control a steering wheel on a vehicle that doesn't have any features that even a, a controller is supposed to be able to control. Well, what's... What's really interesting to me about that is that not only did it have the controller that was capable of that control, but it actually apparently had the, the physical elements, whether they're servos or whatever, to actually like implement that, which means somewhere along the way, the only thing preventing you from having that feature on that car is having the user interface to it or something of that nature. Maybe some sensors aren't there or whatever, but that that brings up a really interesting point. I know there's a bunch of those like car mod folks out there that I run into all the time with BMW or like, 
you'll probably like, oh my God, cool. You know, I want to go see what I can figure out that my car has that I don't know that it has. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, um, you know, and that's that's even coming more to light, as you mentioned, with BMW and their, uh, you know, uh, uh, their seat heaters as a service or, <laughs> you know, whatever uh, you want to call it, where these, now we know these uh, things are being implemented and, um, you know, and they're just behind a paywall. Uh, so yeah, you know, that's, that's definitely, uh, kind of a, a car hacker's dream right there is for you to tell me these things are there and, uh, challenge me to, <laughs> to get access to them. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, as you mentioned, like the only thing really holding an attacker back in that realm is, uh, what I uh, mention a lot is that for decades, vehicles uh, security platform has been physical access. You know, for, for the attack we just mentioned, you need to first break into the car and then you need to plug something at least into the OBD2 port. Um, and, uh, you know, but as cars begin to come online, and have more wireless capabilities such as, you know, uh, like 90% of vehicles nowadays have Bluetooth connectivity. You know, a lot of them still don't uh, have, uh, you know, internet capability and, and, you know, always connected and stuff like that. But uh, like I, I'd say 90, 99% of, of vehicles have a Bluetooth connection, which, you know, physical access. If there's a Bluetooth exploit out there, then, uh, you know, you don't need physical access. There was actually a, um, uh, a Bluetooth exploit, I believe to, uh, um, to one of my bikes. Um, and, uh, my bike was, uh, I, I purchased it kind of late in the life of the bike. So I think it was already updated, but they were actually updating the bike uh, when you would bring them in for their, uh, for their service, which is actually kind of another kind of topic in and of itself is, uh, over the air updates, you know, like when we turn on our computer, we're always connected. It's always connected. Same thing with our phone. We're like, Oh, there's an update click. But a lot of vehicles, motorcycles and stuff like that, they just still don't have over-the-air updates like Tesla does that could just get pushed yeah. out to fix. So the idea that people have to go to their local dealer and, you know, stuff like that, it's actually holding people back. I mean, um, cybersecurity professionals that are watching this uh, probably know well and dear how bad people are at even updating their computer or phone, um, you know, and stuff like that and the dangers it plays. But imagine if somebody had to take the time out of their day to go to a dealership to uh, update their computer, uh, how, how far back that would hold them from updating things. Uh, well, there's interesting but, end of life concepts here too, right? I mean, so we think in terms of cybersecurity, when we think about end of life, products that can't get updated anymore and the, the the security implications of one of the vulnerabilities found in one of those end of life systems we see that all the time now with with cars i so 
true story. I, my, the BMW I own now is the first car I've owned that is connected car with a bunch of the, the, you know, really cool features like what we're talking about here, including the Bluetooth connectivity, internet connectivity and over the air updates. But I know one of the big things for me was a year ago, I had to go research the serial number on my in car system, the entertainment system that has all the other stuff because, Oh, guess what? Some of them don't support 4G and 3G networks are going away. And so BMW has stopped updating those. There's no update available. So if you've got one of these things, whatever's in that car at the moment is all you got and you're not getting anything more. And so that was eye-opening to me because it's like, okay, now wait, all these people, we're used to, you know, people driving around in 1960s, you know, muscle cars and stuff, right? These cars stay on the road forever if you take care of them and do all the things. Now we're getting to the point where there's truly planned obsolescence in cars. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, um, you know, it's uh, like I've, I've seen um, where vehicles needed updates for for more than just you know standard security purposes too um you know the first bike i ever owned uh had to be uh there was actually a recall on it because the fuel injection was so bad and it had to be reflashed with a new tune all all of the bikes did <laughs> and um yeah so you know imagine you know something like like that happening or you know you you could go into you know the uh like yeah it's uh um it's definitely something that hasn't really really been considered that the you know the technology in your car could reach end of life and uh you know you're you're just kind of stuck it, it like a lot of sooner or later i remember uh, the the place i see the most end of life uh computers uh are actually in um uh cnc shops okay because, yeah you know it's it's fairly similar a, a new cnc machine costs you know tens of thousands of dollars and so they have all these you know windows xp based cnc machines in there and sooner or later our highways are going to be like that <laughs> and, and that's because... yeah and that's what's scary you know is yeah so we'll I will dive into the the whole ics conversation that that kind of mm -hmm. kicks off in a second but i, I do want to get frank's other question here because i'm actually kind of curious too um, to see if you know this i'm not even sure but with like these onstar and you know, all the roadside assistance tools are, are they leveraging just cellular phone technology or is it more that it's, you know, IP based over, you know, the data connection or how do these look? Do you know? Yeah. Mo most of the ones that I have seen are uh, like low bandwidth cellular um, packages that people get. Like if you, uh, if you've shopped around ever for like, you know, um, like, to do your own, you know, GPS and stuff like that. There's a, a few like, you know, very low bandwidth options out there that you could get. And, and most of what I've seen for um, 
roadside assistance, at least when it comes to like, you know, the tracking of the vehicle and, and the alerts and stuff like that. Um, two OnStar are all over like low bandwidth, uh, cellular, low cost connections. I don't know so much about, you know, when it comes to the actual like audio of communicating that, that one, um, mishap was actually the only OnStar experience I had luckily. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I'd imagine, you know, for, for something like an actual, like, audio voice connection you need something a bit more high bandwidth um but uh yeah mo most of what i've seen is is via cellular right now okay so going back then i mean you mentioned like the cnc machines and that's you know th that's the type of concept we think about when we think about any form of ics right it's you know a lot of these systems you know people buying these big industrial control systems, whatever they are, they're used to those things lasting 10, 12, 15 years or more. I mean, you, you can walk into factories and stuff and you're going to see you know, factory equipment that has been there for two decades. And so now, again, where we start to build in things like controllers that run Windows XP, there doesn't seem to be a good marketplace for... I guess it would almost be like making those universal or something where like you could actually maybe upgrade the controller without having to upgrade the whole machine or would that even make sense? Would people even bother because it works fine now? Why would I, you know, spend $20,000 to put a new controller on a $2 million CNC machine that works? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really know uh, much there. I mean, I know that as as we've all seen, if we've ever uh, you know looked into our own car, uh, the uh, um, in the automotive industry at least, because uh, I've I've never really ripped apart and looked at the internals of a um, of a CNC machine, but in the automotive oh. industry. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, uh, we, yeah. <laughs> we know that uh, uh, automotive companies will sometimes do their best to uh, to monetize situations, and uh, you could have two of the exact same controllers that uh, you know just have different housing on them, so that way you know, like people can't just go buy like a Honda Civic controller and put it in their Honda Accord, you know, they, uh, so, uh, like I, I myself don't see the car companies being nice enough to uh, be like, Oh yeah, you know, come in and, and get a new controller put on your, uh, car and extend its life. But I mean, who knows, maybe this is a, a platform for a, uh, a third party company to do, you know, like, as we all know, uh, third party, um, um, engine controller manufacturers have been huge since, uh, electronic fuel injection came to be. And so, uh, you know, maybe in the future we'll see 
where you know the body control modules you could be you could go in and buy a new one you know i mean we we kind of already seen that with uh infotainment centers uh, infotainment systems where you could go and get a whole new infotainment system you know get a get an aftermarket android auto system put in your car and stuff like that and maybe we'll see that more with things like body controllers and all types of weird things where you know these third-party companies are are coming out and being like upgrade your car you know is your car manufactured between these years your controller reached end of life and there's a security threat um that that's that would be a really interesting market to see come to birth and would even expand uh you know vehicle security even more you know when you have these third-party companies that want their stuff pin tested or maybe they don't and they're releasing a whole bunch of vulnerable controllers um <laughs> but uh which unfortunately from past experiences probably what would end up happening but yeah who knows, maybe not um but no it's an interesting concept because even back to what you're talking about before again with being able to control the steering wheel via you know whatever system that was had at least certain components in place. And I'm sure that automakers do that because it's probably like the, the same, I don't know if it's rack and pinion or what that they're using, but you know, it, it's the same components. It's easier to have, you know, you get easier and cheaper. You have the economies of scale. If you buy that same steering column or, you know, rack, whatever it is that goes in there, that has all those elements already in it. Well, it's a lot easier just to do it the same every time because then you only need one assembly line section for that piece. And so it is interesting to think about, well, how could a third party start to take advantage of that? I mean, I've got the cool little iCarly thing, which I, first of all, the name makes me laugh because my kids watched that show on Nickelodeon, but um, you know, it, I've got that for my car and the things that it'll let me do and things that it'll let me do that BMW would not be happy about things that will let me do that. I found out I definitely don't want to do because BMW finance will take my car away from me, but that's another story. Um, but yeah, I know I did not do that, but I researched and found out that would be bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, so there's, there's been, like you said, that, that kind of market in that space. So I'm kind of curious you know, where that could, that it's, it's a really neat idea. I'm, I'm kind of interested in where that might end up taking us in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something I hadn't really thought about until just now either. Um, you know, I, uh, um, there are, you know, as, idea as down, smaller you know, companies, um, you know, continue to, to manufacture things on a global scale, at least, you know, from what I've seen, uh, it, it does kind of, uh, pose a, a larger vulnerability threat, you know, versus, uh, you know, these huge companies like Continental and, um, and Bosch and stuff like that, you know, that, that have a, a, a much larger reputation, a much, larger workforce to make sure that everything that's going out is secure and and stuff like that uh but when you get these these smaller companies out here um you know manufacturing controllers that that may not have the funds to uh to do third-party pen testing as uh we've seen uh 
that that definitely poses a much uh, a much larger threat. I mean, like who knows? I mean, you know, like while while aftermarket electronic fuel injection systems are very very popular, um, you know, I I think they aren't necessarily that large of a of a threat, you know, uh, on something that could be considered a global scale or, you know, yeah. it's, it's definitely, uh, but, um, it's a niche market for sure. Yeah. Um. The, the individual threat is definitely there. Like, uh, when I, when I, um, went to, uh, DEF CON in 2021 and I had a, a motorcycle there to talk about one thing I talked about a lot is, uh, that's huge with motorcycles and stuff is, uh, the, the tuners nearly every person who owns a motorcycle uh you know at some point in time has looked into tuning it has maybe even flashed a new tune to the controller and a lot of these folks you know do it with a tablet and they plug in an aftermarket bluetooth wi-fi device and they you know connect to it with their tablet or laptop and they flash a new tune and these people aren't really thinking uh, in the realms of security. And after they're done, they're just excited and they throw their laptop or tablet in their backpack. They keep that device on there that is probably using default credentials and they go for a cruise down to the cafe. And they get to the cafe and they hop out and they pop open their laptop and connect to their bike again and make sure their AFR is looking good and uh, you know their tune is going good. And, and they don't consider that, you know, you've, you've exposed with this little cheap device that you bought on Amazon for, you know, like 40 bucks and uh, you've left the house with, you've, you know, some other person at the coffee shop could flash another tune to your bike and your engine could blow up on the way home. So, uh, and You've hit on exactly why that Carly does not stay plugged into my car all the time, right? It's only when I'm using it because I want to do a mod that I would ever have it plugged in because I don't trust the damn thing. Because, yeah, you can just, um, you know, and it brings up, oh, God, there's so many parallels. Now I can think of where this happens. But, um, yeah, it's right. so we're getting down to the time we got to wrap this up, unfortunately. But <laughs> I want to throw one question out there to you kind of along this vein, if there was one thing that you could say to consumers out there who might be buying motorcycles, cars, airplanes, farm implements, whatever, about it, what they can do to, to just be a little more secure with all of these connected systems, what would you say to them? Um, I'd probably first say like, user awareness you know like like for years people have you know looked up and went to the dealer to to find out if there were any recalls on their vehicles and stuff like that you know and i think that uh you know may, maybe we need uh, a platform separate from the cves that's a little bit more user friendly for individuals to to look up you know uh, uh, vehicle security to, to get patched at their local dealer or something like that. And the way that we've done it with, um, recalls. Um, so I think user awareness of course is, is a big deal. Um, when it comes to knowing that, you know, something has been out there. And then I think 
um, you know, a base that we just talked on is um, also like not not keeping, um, you know, if if your vehicle, if if having your vehicle um, display a wireless connection isn't necessary at that exact time, I would recommend, uh, you know, turning it off. Um, so, you know, cause a huge threat is, you know, people plugging in these wireless tuners and, you know, just driving around with them nonstop and people are like, oh yeah, you know, I like to keep mine on there in case my car or bike breaks down. I could just pop open my laptop and see why, but, uh, it's not really the best practice. So, you know, um, definitely research uh, third-party utilities before you install them on your vehicle when it comes to um, electronics. And then, yeah, you know, if, uh, if your vehicle doesn't need to be broadcasting a wireless connection, uh, it's probably best to keep it off. Oh, that's awesome. So I don't know if we're ever going to get manufacturers to listen and, like, you know, educate users on this. I mean, to me, it's something that should be a part of the delivery experience, but you know, that's not fashionable. That's not exciting to tell people, Hey, yeah, you know, all these cool features we told you about, turn them off unless you're using them because, oh yeah, they're a security hole. So <laughs> unfortunately I think, you know, you and folks like you myself got to work to get that message out there. So hopefully this is just one extra way we can do it. Um, with that, thank you so much for jumping on. I really appreciate it. This has been awesome. Um, I think it's probably eye-opening for a lot of our listeners. It's certainly, you know, I, I learned quite a bit from this discussion today, and I feel like I, I actually knew quite a bit, but had a lot to learn too. So that's always awesome. Hopefully the folks out there got the same. And to all of you, thank you for joining in. I hope you did enjoy the episode. And uh, we're going to be off actually the next two weeks. I'm going to be on the road. So we'll have a two-week break here where we won't have a new episode. But then we'll come back with more amazing guests. We'll keep doing it as long as you all keep keep tuning in, watching. If you're out there and you've got a, an organization that wants to you know, be a part of this message that we're bringing on Securing Bridges, by all means, let us know. We'd love to partner with you. So with that, uh, got to let you guys go. It's been a blast. Again, thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you next time here on Security Bridges. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges Podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.